just a moment for a couple of shout outs here. Uh, we have a few people to thank. First shout out goes to Noam Talmbout. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but Noam Talmbout correctly guessed our special uh, visitor for this episode being Jill Redding. He guessed that from just the line of dialogue that we shared. You can find Noam on Twitter at Nofioso. That's at N-A-H-F-I-O-S-O. Thank you, Noam, for participating. Two more shout-outs go to a couple followers who correctly guessed Jill Redding's favorite character based on uh, very minimal clues, and it was a photo finish. So two people to shout-out here. First is Jonathan, uh, who goes by Analog Syndicate on Twitter. That's at Analog Syndicate. And second person who guessed just a couple seconds later was Euripides Smalls. And you can find Euripides Smalls on Twitter at LaQuinton. That's at L-A-Q-U-I-N-T-O-N. So thank you to the three of you for playing along. And uh, we hope to do more of these sorts of games in the future. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rewired Podcast. I'm Kelly. Uh, Bailey's not with us today, but we have a special guest, Jill Redding from The Wire, and uh, other work, of course, is joining us today. Jill, thank you so much for being here. We're really pleased that you were able to come and join our podcast. Me too. Uh, it's always just such a, a treat to interact with people that are uh, close to the show and, and cast members especially, which we've had the privilege to do a, f- a few times now. So um, those conversations are always so much fun. Take us back a little bit. And um, yes. I mean, our listeners tend to be super fans. So I know that they know that you portray Dolores in The Wire, but Take us back a, a number of years now and tell us how you got involved in the show and, and how you ended up uh, being cast in the role of Dolores. Okay, well, I um, I got a call to come in to audition for a role of Nikki's mother. And um, I went in and auditioned for Nikki's mother uh, there in the kitchen scene where she's telling her son she's not feeding him breakfast because he's a drunk. Yeah. And I... Um, I got a call back to come back for Nikki's mother. And when I got there, um, everybody, the director and casting person and all those other decision makers were all out to lunch. So they gave me the the line for Dolores, the barmaid. And I said, okay, I can read for that. It was a simple line. Hoss, what is your, what the, you know, oh. Don't tell me I forgot the line. Keep <laughs> your shirt on, Hoss. And so I waited and waited. They came back probably another hour. We're sitting there. And I'd seen the other people that were there for the callback of the barmaid. Now, at this point in my life, I was 60, 62, whatever I was. I'm short, about five, five foot, sort of round and the blonde hair that was being dyed from gray. So I wasn't, you know. Anyway, they. I did Nikki's mother, and um, the casting person said, thank you very much. And the director said, oh, no. No, she's she's reading for the barmaid. She's reading for the Lord. And the 
casting person said she doesn't have the size. I took my little piece of paper with the sides on it and held up my shaky hand and waved it at her and goes, I, I have them. So I, I gave the line and about two weeks later they called me and asked me to portray Dolores. Okay. Apparently the director wanted me um, for the role and everybody else was like, I don't know, 20 years younger than I was at least, you know, lots of hair, very spiffy looking barmaids, you know. No, they wanted me. So because it's a it's a very particular type of bar, and is that kind of um, why they they went that route? It, I mean, it must have caught you a little bit off guard if you had been reading for Nikki's mother. It it did, and then the first day on set, I saw the woman who owned the bar. Our only difference was I was probably fifty pounds heavier than she was. Oh, okay, so Other than that. This we was a real a real bar, and they were um, shooting sort of on location in this bar that had, uh, I guess, a similar vibe as it's portrayed in the show? I guess so, because they bought the bar. Oh, they bought the bar. They bought the bar. So. And so yeah. once you were cast and, and uh, going to be the, the barmaid, Dolores, how did you go about preparing or uh, I mean had you been to those type of bars or worked in those type of bars it's um I, ne- it's... I never worked there oh, okay I was never behind a bar I was in front of the bar but no. I went to our neighborhood working bar and sat on the stool ordered a beer and said to um the barmaid which apparently they don't like being called barmaids but anyway <laughs> I um I said, I, I need to learn the dance. The, I need to watch you for a while. I hope you don't mind. I've just been cast in a television show, and I just need to see what you do. Mm-hmm. So I sat there for about an hour and watched her and kind of learned the dance or what they do. You know, the wiping, the shuffling, the opening the beer, the tap. Yeah, lots of uh, multitasking and kind of um, keeping everything yeah. going is uh, is what I see from Dolores in the show. Not just from a, a bar, bar maintenance standpoint, but, um, you know, Dolores in many cases is kind of there at key moments of the plot in season two. Um, we, we had a little fun with our, our followers on Twitter um, trying to get them to guess who would be our guest uh, to record today. And we just shared uh, one line of dialogue, which was, um, what's that? And then your line, which we didn't uh, attribute to you in, in the teaser, but your change. Um, and that's a, a real turning point when we learned that, you know, this money from Frank Sabatka is being doled out among some of the stevedores. So Dolores is really there at some of the crucial turning points. I, I I felt like she was, um, and they appreciated my take on Dolores. Um, the the um, scripts for the first I don't know four episodes, five episodes, were scratched out and changed for the character that I showed them. So I, I thought that was a compliment, but uh, they did that. Um, and how so? They were adapting more to your interpretation and your yes. okay. Yes, because um, 
the um, original scene with um, the bar with um, uh, Ziggy at the at the bar going to climb up on the table. That was completely me when I broke loose and started saying all that stuff because the camera was on. We, we rehearsed it like ten times, and there was my close up, and I couldn't remember the words. Hell is you doing? <laughs> it would not come to my brain, so I just read in the riot act and um yeah, and the that's end result. yeah, that's such a funny scene well it's it's uh what a cool anecdote to hear that that was you in the moment because uh it, it's very funny yeah, when it happens. I found out later that they didn't allow people to do that, you know it was very strict you know stick to the script um so it went, went dead silence after I said that, you know, oh, <laughs> and I thought, oh. Oh, they're gonna fire. This is like, you know, this is the first day I'm on set, the first thing they filmed, and um, I just kind of stood there, and um, and finally the director broke out and started laughing and jumping up and down and saying I love it or whatever he said, and and the script girl came running down and I said, well, what did I say? She oh. had some words scribbled on the on the board, and that was it. Oh, because you couldn't even remember because it was off the cuff. So well, then I could, I could. So I know, I, I remember. I I swore at him. Yeah. But it was so um, improv at that moment. It was just the way I felt. My husband had said to me, he'd been married to a barmaid for several years and had played at a lot of music in bars. And he said, You're in charge. It's your bar. You don't take anything off of anybody. Absolutely. And that was the way it was. That was the way it was. So, so you had was, some fun then. Uh, you had some. Uh, I did. And it's, I mean, that bar, Clement Street Bar, it's a, a Stevedore's bar, right? So a lot of yep. men. I, I'm not sure, actually, we really see a female patron um, until Beatrice Russell goes in, not so much as a patron, but as, um, you know, just fact-finding and information gathering. So what right. kind of, um, yeah. what kind of uh, relationship or process did you have kind of working with all, all those guys? And, um, you know, did it ever get uh, where you were keeping control, not just in the realm of the bar and the show, but sort of on, on set as well? Oh, oh, no, no, not really. I didn't really take charge on, on set. That was, um, you know, there was a lot of things. that They were always very respectful of me as... Um, Jill and Dolores, um, they uh, obviously knew that they adored Dolores because yes. she was just part of the of the of the group there. So, and they knew not to give me a, any hard hard time. You know, they they didn't. No, and I, I'm sure they're all lovely people, so they wouldn't, right? No, no. Um, um, so it was it was it was great fun. Yeah. And um, so. what were some of your uh, favorite uh, either scenes that you got to do or, um, you know, there, as we said, there's sort of funny moments and then there's some right. sadder moments. One of the ones that stands out for me is uh, when Ziggy's duck dies and, you know, you're you're there for that as well. But tell me a couple of memorable moments that stand out in, in filming. Well, I, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, the, the, the giving of the money was... Um, interesting to me because I I knew nothing of where that came from. You know, there wasn't, I couldn't reference it to a previous scene or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I thought that was interesting that I was, um, he'd been sent there with a $10 bill and, and told to ask for a shot of beer and Frank Sabatka sent him and I knew, of course, what that code meant and went to the cash register and got him, I think it was $2,700 or something like that. Uh, of course, not real money, but, um, and, and put it there uh, next to his plate. Um, and, you know, I just read it for that was a perfectly natural thing that happens every once in a while. So mm-hmm. he turns up and says, Frank sent me. He says, I need a shot and a beer and here's $10. And I go, okay, that's the code. Yeah, so, the code. And there's a lot of coded language um, throughout the wire, but... Um, what, that's, I mean, one of my favorite lines is shot in a beer, darling, because I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, we, um, live in Canada and so it's not as like common of a type of phrase that we use here. So I really enjoyed some of the more American, Americanisms, if you will, of, uh, the the speech patterns. Um, you were living in Baltimore then? Yeah, I live outside of Baltimore. I live up in, uh, about... Oh, I guess about 25 minutes away from where the set was, up in another county, uh, up, up near the Pennsylvania line, in um, a place called Bel Air, Maryland. So yes, that's, you, you mentioned uh, they're closing the roads for the run tomorrow up in Bel Air. Oh, yes, they are. The town run. <laughs> um, people out at 7 in the morning. Yeah. One of the things that gets said a lot about The Wire is, um, it's realism and how it's uh, a, a, a gritty but lovingly accurate portrayal of Baltimore. Um, did you did you find that in your experience of working on the show that I, rang true I, to you? I guess I did. I mean, I've been around up in this area since I moved here in '76, and my husband was lived in Baltimore. Um, and um, he would take me to some of his favorite uh, watering holes down there because he was a musician in some of these um, small bars and stuff. So I had a flavor for it. Um, we didn't go to the areas that would be not necessarily safe to go to. I mean, that was not something that we... We talked one time about buying a bar and I could be the barmaid. This is before I got the job. Be the barmaid and he would come down at 2 o'clock in the morning and mark the bottles and kiss me goodnight and go back to bed. <laughs> and that was before you were on the show, so oh, yeah. in a way, yeah. it kind of played we'd out. Get, we'd never get arrested for drunk driving that way. We'd just live above the bar. <laughs> yeah. I, I told a friend of mine that, and she she just about passed out. She got so upset that I was thinking about doing that. I said, we're not going to do it, you know. <laughs> it was just playing what if. Yeah, play a little bit of what, what if and just imagine, but you kind of got to live out some elements of what it might feel I like, did. right? I did. I did. It was wonderful. People thought I was the woman who ran the bar. The opening day of the of that scene, at the end of the day, and it was a 14, 15 hour shooting day, and we, we filmed both um, the first two episodes was in one day and I was exhausted and this man came up to me at the end and he said um he's a barmaid and I went yes he said well I had this hat when I came in and it had um a symbol on the it was describing the symbol that was on his hat because if I find it found it he wanted me to give it to him so a lighting guy walks back and by and goes 
She's the actor, not the barmaid. She doesn't <laughs> own the bar. And it was like, went, oh, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And when they were first setting things up, um, sound guy came over to me and said, so how do I turn off that fan in the freezer? It's just making so much noise. I said, I don't know. I guess you could unplug it. <laughs> Natural. <laughs> Um, but your response when, you know, he asked, are you the barman? And you said, yes. Were you kind of still in character in your mind or, um, <laughs> well, I, I, I guess, I mean, I just was, was answering him. I don't know what he, what his question was going to be. Yeah. What the next I question is. What his question was, I, I knew he didn't want me. Yeah. You know, um, but the, the crew, get, the crew person came right along at that moment. And earlier that day, um, we'd done breakfast and I dutifully stayed in my trailer went up and did the scenes and I went back to my trailer I don't know if you know what size the trailers are but they're small um I couldn't sit on the bench without my feet dangling and it's not long enough for you to lay down on them so and it was cold because it was winter time it was January and um I walked up the hill towards the bar to get some coffee or tea or something and I passed a big truck that had the back of, end of it open and there were coffee pots in it. And I went, ah, okay, coffee pot. So I said, do you have any food in there? Because I am really hungry. And the woman said, are you from the neighborhood? Hmm. And I said, no, I'm playing Dolores. Oh, Jill, I'm so sorry. Oh, 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 please, please. Um, just, uh, Crafty's right up there, right up at the top of the hill. <laughs> um, so, so it was like, um, okay. So I guessed that I was dressed right the part and fit right in because nobody thought I was anybody nobody thought I was an actress so yeah so you definitely fit right in and and portrayed Dolores to a T I'm curious when you mentioned that the existing bar was purchased um for the production of the show did they do much to change the appearance or the look of it or did they keep it really true to how it was prior to purchase uh, they kept it they kept it true to how it was I, I think they might have dusted the bottles a little bit um but I was not in the 11th episode because they had bought the bar and had taken out most of the inside of it they were turning it into back into a house for housing for um the actors since they were going to be there for another you know three seasons so in the 12th season, the curtain call season, all I did was walk out of the bar and put the key in the lock and lock the door. And everybody came out, you know, I came out after everybody, you know, and turned around and locked the door. Yeah. Because you couldn't take the camera in because, so when I went to set for the 10th episode and there was no script for the 11th episode, I was not real happy. <laughs> I went, where's the next script? Where's the script for the next Episode. I suppose if you don't have the script, that means that you wouldn't be filming it, right? Right. There, there were no lines for, for Dolores. There was nothing. I had a couple episodes where I didn't say much of anything. The episode where Ziggy gets the um, paternity papers yes. from the lawyer. Yes. So, at a break in that, I couldn't get from behind the bar. They, there was no way for me to get out from behind the bar. Because they put lights, you know, the bar usually goes three quarters of the way around and there's at least a space for people to get in and out, you yeah. know, deliver booze or go out. But they had the lights all there. And so I couldn't get out that way. 
So I had to um, climb over the bar to get out. And after I'd done that a couple of times, a couple, about the fourth episode, they built a little ladder on both sides and a little platform for me to get across and go down it. Because I guess they didn't like the expression of me saying, just grab a hold and push and I'll, I'll get up and get out. <laughs> um, so in the, um, in the ladies' room, there, or was it all just one restroom? I don't remember. It was the ugliest blue um, background there. They had a machine for condoms. Oh. So somebody, I said, gee, I'd love to buy Ziggy a condom. And they said, oh, here's 75. So I did, and I gave it to him as a joke. You know, because he'd just gotten those paternity papers. Yeah, and, yeah. Know, I just said to him, I don't want this to happen to you again, hand it to him. And he just looked at me. He didn't get the joke, apparently. He just looked at me as Jill and, and kind of took it and wandered off. And and so like, he didn't get that this was like a character joke. <laughs> no, he didn't. And that happens to me a lot in my life because I'm an improv comedian. And um, I, I, I lie to people for money all the time so people don't always see Jill they see whatever character I am I guess I don't know yeah taking Um, on whatever persona you are using in that moment um coming from a background of well first of all improv and second of all comedian the wire is kind of a a 180 from both of those. As you said, the scripts were usually uh, structured to be followed very closely, and there's not that much um, levity or or comedy in the show. So was it a a pretty big change from uh, your past work, acting, or um, improv? No, I don't think so. I just adapted that character. Um, because my characters in improv aren't necessarily always funny. Okay. Characters. They can be um, more serious characters, although I do like getting the laughs when I get them. Um, but I'm pretty much, no, that was just the character I was, so I was that character. And obviously, I was believable because people thought I was. So I think that's yeah. a great point to make that improv doesn't always necessarily mean comedy um that's probably well and a misconception on my part as well because I always associate the two um but uh that it can be serious as well well they can be very funny I mean yes and I I happen to at the moment run my acting troupe of that I've been in for probably close to 30 years now and um it got turned over to me a few years ago and there are people that you just they get upset. Well, I nobody laughed at what I said. Okay, you know, it just pushed the script on further. It wasn't necessarily funny, but they're not laughing. I said, but they're paying attention to you, right? And and they don't always understand it, or they want to be a stand up and and just want to talk constantly. So stand ups aren't really good um, improvers. Sometimes they can improv themselves, but they don't necessarily improv with others because they're used to um I, I don't want any stand-ups yelling at me but um I think it's just because um I won't know if they yell at me <laughs> so, um it's 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 just that it's 
they don't always play as well as others because they're used to being by themselves and, and the attention is completely on them. So sometimes I can't hire people that are, are that way. Yeah, it's um, it's a different feeling, right? Uh, being kind of a, a central star versus being part of an ensemble. Um, yeah. And The Wire, I think, is very much an ensemble, especially as the seasons progress. Um, people come and go throughout the show, and it's kind of hard to say that there is a main character because we see so many characters right. in The Wire. So... Um, kind of reflective of, of, I guess, an acting troupe in that way. Well, they're, they're just amazing characters in The Wire. Um, there's so many that you just um, love to hate or, you know, just want to see more of them. Or, you know, it's there's so many characters that just stand out, especially in my mind. And I was on a, um, a, a group a while ago reading some chats from people about The Wire and, and they were saying that they hated the second season because it was such um, uh, so different than the first season but then as they watched the next season and the next season they realized that in each season a different element besides the police and the um, drug dealers was added into every season but the yes. second season was such a jolt to them to suddenly not have to have these other people who really weren't pushing forward the drug dealing and the and all of that so it was such a um a jolt that they just didn't like it until they then saw the third season which was the political and the fourth season yeah. which was the kids and so it, it it had to grow on them a little bit i think you make um, such a great point because it, it's it's baffling to me that season two gets dragged a lot. It's my favorite season by far. But I think you're right that um, other sort of mainstream or, or network television kind of follows main characters through the seasons um, unless there's some major event like a season finale and somebody's leaving and that's kind of hyped up in advance sort of thing. But... Um, you the person who's watching The Wire for the first time and starts season two is like, wait, where did everybody go? Um, but I think that's exactly. an important feeling that the viewer must feel. And, and that kind of sense of discomfort is very true to life in, in a lot of ways. You know, people come and go from our lives um, and sometimes under very tragic circumstances and whatnot, and, and that happens as we lose characters in The Wire. But um, you're right that it's as the seasons build on each other, it's kind of this tapestry that gets richer and richer, and they yeah. layer on these institutions and these themes as each season goes. But as you said, season two is the first time the viewer has to contend with that. Because they still had the police and the drug dealers. I mean, they didn't go away. Right. They didn't go away in the third season. Of the, now, my favorite season, it should be the second season, but my favorite season is the fourth season. Oh, is that because right? The, I, I just assumed the second. Those young so. people, amazing. Those young people were such good actors. They were so amazing. And the, the richness that they brought to it with their youth was just phenomenal to me. I just, um, I just thought they were... Yes, so good and so young to be 
they, I, you know, I, I absolutely believed it, every one of them, you know, the, the street kids that they were. Yeah, they're so talented and um, yeah. harrowing stories um, that really yeah. that touch our hearts. But um, we had the privilege of having Julito McCullum on our podcast a while back. He portrays Naaman and uh, got to learn a little bit from him about uh, the experience of being a youth working on set. And uh, as you said, they're just so um, believable and immersed in in the characters that they're portraying that, I mean, season four is a lot of people's favorites. Um, you're, you're not alone in that respect. Um, so you continued kind of... It's also a very tragic season. It's um, a heartbreaking, um, some of the things that are just heartbreaking in that season of what happens to the young people and um, just, um, yeah. It's so sad. Nothing to do with my favorite character, of course. <laughs> do you have a favorite character? I have a, I have a few. Um, of course, uh, Omar coming. Now we've lost Omar, but, um, and uh, Bubbles. I yes. loved Bubbles. I just thought he was the, the whole character of him, the whole ups and downs of, of him were um, amazing to me. And uh, Stringer Bell, that we mourned Stringer Bell when he died. Well, this is what's hard is that, I mean, Bubbles has, um, a, I think, as close to a happy ending as, as we see in the yes. show, but we lose a lot of our favorite characters along the way. Frank Sabaka is my favorite character in the show, and I was crushed um, at the end of season two with what happens there. Yeah. Well, no, no I, 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 I'm not downing season two by any means. I mean, of course. No, I know. I love season two. I love all those people that I met and all those characters and, and all the things they let me um, let me do. And, you know, the, the $20 back in the in the pocket of the um, fellow that came in on the um, stand, stands his um, real name. Came in on the crutches after his leg, after he lost his leg. Yeah, uh, tilt is what they end up calling him. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I understand you're not dunking on season two at all. I'm sure it's also probably easier to have a favorite season that you didn't see the inner workings of as much, right? Because then you can really uh, appreciate the narrative for what it is. Yeah, yeah that's true too. And um, this um, experience on The Wire, you had um, also worked on Homicide, uh, Live on the Street prior. So there's um, a fair bit of crossover there uh, in terms of production and people involved, cast, actors, etc. What uh, was your experience like there? So this is well prior to The Wire. It was. It was. It was my first... um it was actually the job that got me into the Screen Actors Guild. Um, I was um, <laughs> the same casting director, and um, but it. Who is that I casting director, to... by the way? Do you mind me asking? Uh, Pat Moran. Pat Moran. Okay. Yeah, and um, my sister had was up for a role, and um, I kind of nudged in and asked if there was something for me. But um, Pat was very upset with me for doing that. And then um, I, I, I did audition for the role my sister got, and my sister got the role. 
And there was some talk of them doing a, a scene, something with the two of us. But my sister passed away, so that never happened. Oh, I'm so but, sorry. Um, yeah, well, she got very ill. The, um, the scene with, um, in uh, Homicide Life on the Street, I played the role of Mrs. Krebs, mm-hmm. who had a very large dog. And the dog had dug up um, some uh, body parts. And that's how they knew that these two young men that were living in this hovel of a townhouse, um, when their father had died, they never mentioned it so that his social security check would keep coming right. um, to them, which really doesn't work that way because, of, well, they didn't tell anybody he died. Um, so um, Mrs. Krebs dog dug up the bones. Well, before Mrs. Krebs dog dug up the bones, Jill, me, was put in the backyard of these, um, well, they weren't they weren't boarded up, but they were certainly abandoned houses. So there was no uh, place inside to get a drink of water or go to the bathroom. You had to go all the way back to your trailer and stuff like that. And bitter cold, January the sixth. It was my birthday, and um, I was very cold. And I was back there. They'd given me hand warmers that were in my gloves, and I they handed me the dog to get used to the dog. Mm-hmm. And everybody went away. And I'm in this backyard with this dog that wanted to lift his leg on everything there was back there. <laughs> Lighting poles, he didn't care. And they had buried um, ground beef so he would dig in that one spot. Oh, or okay. Or whatever they put in there. And, and of course, that's, he wanted to go there. Now, that was a ways away from where I was, but he was just, you know, hard to handle. And it was a good-sized dog. And so finally the director and the PA, everybody came back and they're all over there where the camera is and um, and they all had coffee. And I said, you have coffee? Oh no, we have cappuccino. Oh. You like cappuccino? I said, I love cappuccino. Did they I have one for you? I never had one in my life. Huh. Yes, they got me a cappuccino, huh. which immediately gave me stomach cramps because it was so strong and had so much um, cream in it and all that I'm I'm back there now practically doubled up holding on to this dog <laughs> and the cameraman said the sound guy said what is that noise what is that noise and it was me saying the dog shut up shut it Yeah. Well, he he belonged to one of the actors. As soon as the actor came on set, he raised his hand, and the dog sat down. And I thought to myself, where were you 45 minutes ago? Because I'm new at this, right? Yeah, you just thinking, met the dog. You're I'm not, not sure a I handler. I should be the only one handling this dog. And everybody go off and leave me. I said, there's something not right about this. I mean, they had walked me to set going, I've got Jill, I'm walking with Jill, Jill's here, I've got Jill, so I knew I was important, but they left me with the dog, and, and, and so I said, okay, you want to you wanna lift your leg on all the lighting equipment, go ahead, I'm not, I, what am I supposed to do, I'm not going to let go of this leash. Yeah, it's <laughs> I had not your dog. Line. I had this great line that they cut, because I think it was going to get too big a laugh. Because they um, they said to me, Mrs. Krebs, is, um, could this be, uh, oh, oh dear, there we go. 
don't don't become seventy eight. You'll lose your mind. Um, <laughs> the dog's name, um, uh, Harvey, um, and he said, um, "Could this be the, the dead guy?" And I said, "I don't know. Did it look like that last time I saw him?" Well, they cut that line when I first got there. They cut it, and then I'm working with these actors who don't know what the other lines are or don't care because it's just a throwaway scene as far as their lines in the order in which they were written. Really? How they were written. So it was kind of, it was fun. I did fine. I, you know, got the whole thing done, but I didn't get Harvey the thigh bone. And so... Harvey has the thigh bone. That was my last line. Did you and Harvey Harvey uh, continue to stay friends over uh, the course of your time? (laughs) Oh, the dog? I don't even know the dog's still around anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That was 19, I thought it was 1996, because SAG said I had to be in 20 years before um, I was old enough to be just uh, a non-paying member, as long as I don't earn a lot of, earn a lot of money. Um, I don't have to, I, when you're 70 years old and over 20 years in the business, but I thought it was 96, but they said that it was 98, so my wow. IMDB says it was 96. Um, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, you know, probably sometimes fun to to stay on your toes like that with an animal. Um, oh, yeah. Were there any yeah. any uh, challenges with the the duck that was in the bar a fair bit? <laughs> the duck was uh, the duck was amazing. There's a man in um, workman's clothes. You know, looks like a longshoreman. Um, I mean, none of them came in directly from work, all sweaty and all that. They all you know came into my bar looking good. Um, the guy standing kind of right behind the duck was the duck's handler. Okay. So the duck came with a guy who knew all about the duck and, and how to treat him. And, of course, it was not, um, it wasn't really beer that we gave um, gave the duck. Okay, the duck well, that's good news. Everybody says, oh, you poisoned the duck. <laughs> poisoned the duck. I say, I gave him beer. Well, he shouldn't drink beer. It's okay. But, uh, yeah, the duck was fun. Um, and then, of course, they had the, the, uh, the, 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 the dead duck, which was, I guess, just something that came from a butcher shop before it was plucked. Okay, um, so, um, it wasn't that they could get the live duck to play dead. They had to get no, it. No. Okay, I wasn't sure a, how much they, of an actor. They had a, they had a dead, it was a dead duck. I mean, it was an actual duck. I don't think it was a... It wasn't stuffed. I believe it was a, a real duck. Okay. I didn't know if the duck was such table. an actor that the duck could just nah. act dead <laughs> on command. No. We had had to encourage the duck to drink the, um, well, his handler had to encourage him to drink out of the, out of the bowl there. Yeah. But uh, but that was a fun scene. The, the whole business with the duck. It was, it was just, this is who Ziggy is. So now we're going to give Ziggy his moment because... This is who he is. He's just crazy. Well, I guess I gave him several moments, but yeah. Yeah, well, and I mean, that's another uh, sad um, ending to a story there, what happens with Ziggy. And there are those moments, like with the duck um, and a couple other things. You know, he's the one who coins the new nickname for uh, Tilt, uh, they end up calling him, um, where Ziggy kind of gets a little respect from the crowd, but... In the end, it doesn't end in his favor, unfortunately. No, no. No, it, it did not. Um, 
And I, I like the way things are not really telegraphed that well, that much. Sometimes shows will, you'll know what's going to happen. I don't know that that was ever really the case uh, on the wire too much. I mean, you could think, oh, this, something's going to happen, but what you thought was going to happen was completely um, different than than what happens. Like the, the scene, um, Brother Maison and, um, and um, my, my favorite drug dealer. Omar. Yeah. Omar. Omar? Yeah. Omar coming. I, I just thought he was just going to blow him away. Yeah. Um, no doubt about it, but it didn't end that way. And so I like the fact that it was not predictable. Yes, uh, a lot that's um, uh, the opposite of expectations, and then also a lot that's just implied. Like um, you were mentioning earlier, the scene where um, you hand over the change, and it's it's like the twenty seven hundred dollars, and it's there's your change. So says Frank Sabaka. That is never really um, dissected in a way that the viewer understands um, the relationship between how. Frank gets money to Dolores to give to, and but we don't need to see that, you know. There's enough. No, you don't need. You don't need. You don't need to know how that. You happens. don't need to know. Because he had the scene with with the fella before, where he's saying, "I'm I'm parking my piece of shit car two blocks away, so they won't, you know, yeah, uh, repossess it." Yeah. And so you know he's in trouble, and you know Frank is saying to him, "Hang in there, don't leave this union for another union." Yeah. And then he bequeaths him that money so that he doesn't have to. So, um, yeah, and we don't need different. to know. We don't need to know the inner workings of what goes on, sort of behind the bar. It's almost like uh, the events that happen in the bar, to some degree, stay in the bar. Absolutely, it's a, it's a sacred space in season two. I would say. It, it, I think it was a safe place for them to be to come, because I'm not going to tell anybody what's going on. No, um, that's for sure. The Dolores wouldn't do that. Um, she liked those guys. Um, they were her, her, her friends, her pals. Yeah, you know? and uh, like you said, everyone treats her with the the utmost respect in the bar. It's uh, it's really lovely to watch. Um, in the later seasons, three, four, five, um, were you following along, kind of in suspense? Also, like as a viewer, you didn't have the um, oh, the yeah. grand plan, right? No, oh no! I was just, I was just a viewer like everybody else. And so, how did that feel then? Um, some of the characters, of course, from season two, we, we do see again. Um, not so much from the the, the docks, though. So, um, what was it like to watch and be? It, it was. In it was anticipation? like you knew everybody. It was like you knew people. Yeah. I didn't know the police because I was never. I was in the bar one time when they came in to discuss the dead girls, but I was not part of that. Right. That was one of those times when I was just really a background actor um, in in the scene when the police came in. But I I did have a fun thing in season um, that the, the, I call the curtain call season. I also like the fact that I had a curtain call at every the end of every episode caught you up with what people had done and what was going on and so you could get one last glimpse of your favorite character there. At the, yeah. The last, yeah, I always liked that. And I hated it too because I hated telling that was the curtain call scene. I'm like, no, 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 the season's going to be over. No, no. Yeah, it's like we want yeah. more. 
<laughs> I don't want it to stop now. No, no, don't let it stop. So I go to season 12. I'm on the B unit because that's all I was doing was locking up the bar. Um, that was my scene. So I got there and they said, uh, you want to go to lunch? Well, it was, you know, close to five o'clock. You know, breakfast is probably at noon, you know. So it's, um, I go move my car and I walk down to where the truck is. And they segregate the, um, the crew, the actors from the background actors. You, you know, you know, right. you get to sit with the with the real people. So, and I was the only woman on the set because the makeup artist and the um, costumer took me under their wing and I get to sit with them because there was no other women in the scenes that I was in that were there. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, well, and in episode two, there were other scenes with with women other places. As you said, um, the the girl, the woman from the dock did come to the bar, but, you know, we didn't have any interaction together. Right. So, anyway, I go, I go to the catering truck, and I ordered some food up, and I took it, and Prop Joe was sitting on the steps. He had his, his foot had been, something was wrong with his foot. He's in one of those walking things. And I said to him, so where is everybody? All the way to the second floor, and I, long table set up in the room so i go right in there and there's a space right inside the door first space at the end of the table so i sat my tray down and i'm sitting there and i said you know i'm a really big fan of this show so when i saw the catering truck downstairs i knew that i could just get some food and come up and sit with you all do you mind and of course, oh, oh, no, that's okay. And I'm sitting across from McNulty. He's looking at me, and his eyes are moving from side to side like, who can I tell this woman is in here and doesn't belong? Until, <laughs> I don't know, about four people down, this voice goes, it's Dolores. And all these British voices went, oh, Dolores, it's you. Oh, Dolores, we're so glad to see you. Oh, Dolores. I'm like, who was who was the voice who said it's Dolores? All the all the cops because they didn't work with me ever, right? But they had watched the ep- they'd watched the episodes obviously. Yeah, because they knew who I was. I, I think the one that let them know it was me was, was Frank Savatka. Oh, okay, um, Chris Bauer. He's he's the one that that, that gave me up. It's Dolores. Yeah, that's you know, what I could, awesome. I could always see his eyes rolling at me for my prankster things but yeah yeah chris bauer phenomenal actor um yes and it's funny that you said that about the british voices because uh yes a a few um brits in the mix of the cast uh yep mcnulty being one of them and uh idris elba stringer bell another one um but the accents in the show i mean are great for the most part. I know season two has a little bit of an in-joke when McNulty has to fake a British accent. British accent. Yeah. yeah. Um, fake a bad one, which is, I mean, that's like a Mobius strip of, of accents, <laughs> right? When he really is yeah, British. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was fun that he got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a lot of uh, great camaraderie great working relationships there, great friendships there there was there is there's still some people i'm in little contact with um well obviously the, the longshoremen yeah a few of them are we're still friends on facebook and 
I see them come up on this um, group that I chat the, about the wire, but um, yeah. Are we in? Don't... Are we in the same group, Jill? I'm in one of those uh, Facebook groups too about the wire. Um, it's uh, on. Kurt is his name, but on Twitter we know him as Ziggy's Duck, interestingly enough. No, no. Oh, he's a super fan, got a lot of great uh, Wire content. I mean, this is one of the things that I and my co-host and sister, Bailey, what we love about the show is um, there's just, it feels like endless amounts to talk about and, and to think about and even though yeah. it ended, uh, what, like 15, maybe 15 mm, or more no, years ago. My, two, 2003 is when I did my acting. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, almost 20 years now, the show continues to provide so much um, to viewers and just uh, sort of as a cultural touchstone when you got involved with the show did you have any sense of what a lasting impression it was going to have on oh you? no 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 of course not you, you, you want to think that it's going to be around and played but um, no no um, I had no um, no idea that it would still be around all these years later people are talking about it and it's studied in universities here. Absolutely, um, yeah. As the deterioration of a city. Um, some people who are from Baltimore do not like the depiction of the wire. I have heard um, that as well, yes. Absolutely do not. Um, and other people say, yes, that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm a realtor also, but um, that's kind of my second because I was acting as my first job. And um, this young man was saying, yeah, my my realtor was on the wire. He said, what? He said, yeah, she played the Dolores. He said, Dolores? Dolores? I love Dolores. <laughs> and I'm thinking that was such a, I mean, it was a nice integral part of what was going on, but it was such a, a, a small role, you know, in, in the whole scheme of things for somebody to remember. And I get that. I have that at my local bagel shop. Oh, is that right? I wore my wire. I wore my wire jacket in one day, and he said, "I love the wire. How did you get that?" I said, uh, "I was on the show." No. And I said, "Yeah. Did you ever watch episode, season two? And he, he looked straight at me and went, "Dolores." Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's me. So now he called. Um, I get. I, I would get special treatment anyway because I go there all the time. But yeah, but he's, he's, he, she was on the wire. She was on the wire. You're a VIP customer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Um, tab to, for people to, to reach back and remember that long ago. And then I still have people that say, I remember you from um, Homicide Life on the Street. I also played, did you ever see this movie Game Change? I did not see that movie, no. But okay. I, I know that you worked on Game Change. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was on Game Change. Because they, they had the woman on television um, maybe four or five years ago on Good Morning America. And they were explaining how she... Oh, maybe she didn't make an appearance because I think she kind of did your career. Somebody said, they were talking about you on Good Morning America. I said, what are you talking about? She, they said, they were saying that that woman changed the game um, 
so the candidate wasn't so angry anymore. Oh. She changed the game. And I thought, well, that's an interesting take on it. So. Is it? A small role. An interesting that was, take. That was, a, that was a very funny audition. Because I was in Virginia visiting a friend. And I got a phone call that said, um, um, we want you to look at something um, called uh, John McCain, Lady in Red. Look it up on YouTube. We want you to audition for that role. And I went, okay, call us back in an hour. So then we had to find my friend's um, the off the place in her building that, that had the, the office because she didn't have um, any kind of Wi-Fi or anything. So we go down and I find this YouTube thing that says, John McKin, uh, John McKin, Lady in Red. And I bring it up, and there's this person going, <laughs> And I went, what do they want me to do? Is that what they want me to do? And it was a man impersonating her and not saying the right words, just being silly and impersonating this lady. So I found another version, heard what she had to say, went to the audition. I would never given a call back I was the only one that auditioned for it and they just cast me right right from the get-go oh wow because a friend of mine said bring Jill in she can do it she can do it bring Jill in so I went in did it and that's first and last time that has ever happened (laughs) well I mean not that different though from when uh, you were cast as Dolores right you were reading for well Nikki's mom, and then read for Dolores, and then it's like she's Dolores. Yeah, but you've got me and curious. Asked, so I'm gonna look that up. I asked the director. I said to him, um, "Did you pick me? Be- did you want me because I look just like the lady who owned the bar?" He said, "I never met that woman. I just knew what I wanted, and it was you." I said, okay. "There you have it." So he was the one that insisted that I I be that person. And they didn't, I don't know if they looked at anybody else after that or not. I never got the skinny on that, but my friend was working at at the time and told me, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was the right decision. The show just would not be the same without Dolores. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. It it was, it was truly, it was truly a wonderful fulfilling experience I I loved it I was so disappointed when I didn't have a, an episode 11 they said well this is good news they bought the bar so I guess I knew about it maybe I knew about it two episodes before that um, maybe at that point they were giving me scripts two episodes in advance anyway um, they said cast me said they bought the bar so that's a good thing I went Okay, but then they destroyed the bar, so that was a bad thing. Yeah, good. Bittersweet, right? Bittersweet. It, bittersweet, bittersweet. Yeah, I get to go out and and, and, the, and the scene you can barely see me locking the door because even on the ground when I'm up on the steps, the guys are taller than me. So, <laughs> had, I had an, an app, I had an apple box behind the uh, behind the bar uh, to stand on. Oh, you so, did? Um, I did. I'm, I'm barely five foot tall. Oh, okay. So when I'm leaning across the bar to uh, give him his money, I'm like, okay, am I going to 
where do you want me? Um, I learned a very valuable acting lesson during that um, episode, too, that I never heard the words before because I was not a, a, a movie actress. I'm a stage actress. Yeah. Which means I'm used to talking to the back of the house or across the, the crowded, uh, when we do things live, in with the people um, across the room. I'm, I'm not a small-voiced person. So I didn't understand about being mic'd and being quiet, you know, except for the stupid dog. But um, <laughs> I didn't know that. And the director kept saying to me, you're too big. You're too big. And I thought, yeah, I'm too big because I can't stand between this sink and the, and the shelf over here where you want me to stand to be able to handle the money because that was the camera angle they needed. Yeah. And, you know, I couldn't fit in there. And I said, I know I'm, I'm too big. Finally... Finally, she got through to my little thick head, and I did the scene, brought the voice way down. Right. I know what that means now. Right, right. They meant big as in loud. I thought, yes, I'm too big. (laughs) You know, I I don't fit in that that corner. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's... I expected from a SAG actress a little more experience, but I continue to do... I was in... 40 movies in background um, that went on in, in Baltimore. I auditioned a lot for a House of Cards, but um, never, um, I got a couple of callbacks, but never got cast in that. But I finally did my day of background on, I think it was three episodes from the end. I said, well, there's not going to be anything else. There was no uh, audition for this role or the, you know, 70-year-old or whatever it was, so I just said, okay, I'm fine. Yeah. And this man who was really tall, and we're walking down the street, and the camera is, it looked like it was two blocks away, okay? So we were deep background, and he said to me, don't you want to walk on the other side of me so the camera can see you? I said, absolutely not. (laughs) I've auditioned for too many roles in this movie to now be seen as a background. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I'm, I'm going to stay on on the inside of you, and um, I don't want to be seen by the by the camera. He thought that was terrible that I didn't want to be on camera. I said, no, I just don't want to do it. But one of my favorite movies was when I did a movie with John with as background, actually with um, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I got coughing there. Oh, and I can't even now his name is gone from my head because I coughed it out oh that sounds yeah that sounds silly when you get older but um George Clooney oh okay I was in a movie with George Clooney I got a call again I was with that same friend and I got this call that says darling you ought to go to um are you still fat I said yes I'm still fat Darling, you want to go to the movie theater that is in the mall at such and such. I said, there's no movie theater in that mall. There's a movie theater across the street. Go to that one, darling. Just how soon can you get there? I, I said, I, I, what are you wearing? I told her what I was wearing. Oh, can you get some color? And that's too much black, too much black. And I said, fine. So I raided my friend's closet, went on to the movie set, got there. And um, there were very few background people. It was mostly the people that worked in the movie theater. And they were um, large, youngish people, but everybody was a good size. So the director calls me to the top of the stairs. He's standing down in the first lobby, and I'm up in the second lobby. He said to me, do I know you? 
I said, I don't think so. Have you been in this movie? I said, no. It was Syriana. He said, are you sure you have not been in this movie? I said, I haven't been in the movie. <laughs> so he said, okay. So then I'm at the ticket window, and um, I'm laughing with the, the girl before we were setting the they were setting the cameras. And I said to her, senior, ticket, please. And he said, you're not going to speak, you know. And I said, I know, I'm background. I know that. You know, I guess he was afraid I was going to say something. Oh. So I looked up in the glass, and there was George Clooney standing behind me. Oh, wow. I said to myself, oh, that's nice. That's interesting. How fun is that? So then we were up in the lobby. He was way over on the side with his earphone listening to his tape recorder. And a, a guy from The Wire came running out. He was working crew, and he came running out. He was in my bar. He said to me, so when do you think we'll start getting residuals from The Wire? Oh. I said, well, I've been told that it's a year after it films and then it's percentage of the profit. Well, George Clooney obviously heard me burst out laughing and the, and the guy ran because he knew he was in trouble if he interrupted the actor. And I was in trouble because I had, you know, interrupted the actor. Mm-hmm. And he came, he came walking over and he said, dear, there's never a percentage of the profit. Oh. <laughs> and I went, Oh, that's too bad. So we were standing there next to each other, and we started walking. We walked forward a couple of steps. I don't remember now why. We were laughing about something. And there was this little machine that would, would take your picture, you know, the way behind the curtain. Yeah, photo booth. Every time we would get near it, the, the, they would say, come and take your picture. Come in and get your picture. And we'd look at each other. We'd back up. We'd walk forward again. The machine would go, come in and get your picture. I said, I said to him, I, I don't have any money. He said, neither do I. I said, well, I guess we're not going to go in and get our picture. And we'd walk forward and we'd walk back. So we did the scene. I walked into the movie theater ahead of him and he walked in behind me. It's, it's not, it's cut now from the, from the tape. But I knew when that 15 seconds would be and I'm at my, with my husband at the movie and I said, here it comes. There I go. And he said to me, I didn't see you. Oh. I said it was the only person on the screen. I was walking into the movie theater, into the dark. And he said, you'd think I'd recognize you from behind watching you all these years. I said, you'd think so. But then it was cut from the um, the video. Oh, dear. It didn't, it didn't need to be there. But he sat there for an hour afterwards, or in between, it was in between takes, really, with the young people there all sitting around in, in chairs, all listening where he gave a tutorial on his career and acting really? and everything. It was wonderful. I thought, well, wasn't that, he could have been off in his trailer, you know, um, he could have been anywhere, you know, and he sat there and it was wonderful. I, I truly appreciated that about him. Very I gracious. Kind of on the edge of it listening. Very gracious. Very gracious. Yeah. Well, that's such a cool experience. It's too bad you never got the photo in the photo booth. <laughs> oh, I got to see it. I guess we never got in the photo booth. That would have been too much fun, but yeah. No, it would, I don't know what it was at that point, two or three dollars or whatever, but we we're all out there without, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I didn't even have my purse with me, except my, I had my good, my friend's new um, t-shirt on with my black jacket and black pants. Yeah, not a lot of room to carry around cash, no. quarters, whatever. Right. I, I may have had a fake purse from, um, from costume 
I'm a large woman. So the costume people always just kind of stare at me from afar and hand me a scarf. Oh. And say, you're fine. Oh. You're fine. With what you're wearing, you're fine. Because they don't carry that those sizes unless they know in advance that they're um, that they're doing that right um, with somebody. And um, so um, I don't know. Well, and yeah. that's why you I mean, showed up some in some of your own clothes, and but I think that's oh, yeah, like yeah. you know part of being a believable image on screen is you know look natural, and that means wearing perhaps what you own. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it and you know it's going to fit. Oh, yeah. Um, you just need to know what season it is. I don't keep that many of those kinds of clothes around anymore. I did for a long time, but. Just buy something solid color or nothing, um, you know, I don't need white, I don't need black, you know. Um, yeah, now I just have normal clothes that I can still put together, but, you know, it's something. Yeah. yeah. And so, what are you working on these days? Yeah, you said you're doing real estate, but also acting, and oh, is yeah. that, um, like you said, a lot of stage work primarily? I am. Um, right now, I'm um, getting ready to do for the next, well, four weekends in a row in the week of Christmas. Um, I'm doing, um, I'm playing the only elf on the, um, a version of the, um, Polar Express. The Western Maryland Scenic Railroad has a, um, a, a beautiful old steam engine that they've redone. And two years ago we did the, did the Polar Express and now we're doing it again. And I didn't really have, I wasn't part of the ensemble, but they wanted me out there. And I said, well, play an elf. So I took on the persona of the, the elf that, that yells, you know, Santa's coming, Santa's yep. coming. And so they said, please bring her back. And it's two years later, and I'm going, oh, my God, am I going to be able to run through I, four shows a day running through train cars? But it's, it's a payday. It's it's a job. So Yeah. And mostly I'm... I'm just hanging out, getting rejected. Uh huh. <laughs> well, during this time when everybody's out of work. Yeah, this is a strange time. They've got the choice of everybody that's out of work. There's nobody's having a conflict. They're off doing this other movie or something like that. Yeah, they, absolutely. So, so they're hiring a lot of people that have come from will come a long way, um, just for um, a day player role, um, a day's work. So that's not working for those of us that are already here. Yeah, yeah, in the area. Well, I mean, hopeful that everything will turn soon. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm doing a couple of small um, productions for people that specifically came and asked for me. Um, I want you to do this role. I want you to do that. I, so I, I've still got that. Plus my um, often crazy... Um, improv things that, um, and I write, um, for an inn in, um, the Poker Nose Mountains of Pennsylvania, which you might not know what that means. A, big, a lot of people just go there to relax and stuff. And I've been doing a gig up there for 20, 28 years now. I just came back from doing that. Oh, like a writer's um, retreat. Yeah. I, I write, well, no, I, I write a, um, a game that has to be solved by everybody. And I, I put out about 50 pieces of evidence and it's a, it's a murder thing and we'll kill somebody and, and people come up to me afterwards. I missed that piece of evidence. And I go, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> it was there. Um, but it's, that's a challenge. It takes about six weeks to write those. Um, we do it for 40 to 50 people. So That sounds like great fun. I would love to participate is, in something is, like that. It is. But I, I'd really like to get back, um, back on camera again. Um, I'm up to the, for the grandmother roles now. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> so... Potentially no more barmaid roles, but uh, you... Oh, I would do a barmaid role. Oh, in a heartbeat. This this friend of mine who was not happy that I did The Wire. I don't really Why? Know. I think he was jealous. Oh. I think he was jealous is what the problem was. So we were, I don't know, four or five of us were out at um, a local bar one night after a show, and I, I went over, and the bill was like $18. Somebody was drinking soda, and somebody must have been drinking water because the bill was $18. And I just, I paid the bill. I mean, it wasn't like it was 35. I had to go back and say, okay, people, give me money. Yeah. So I went back and I, and, uh, so I said, no, don't worry. I took care of it. And he threw his arms out, pushed his chair back and said, oh, because you're a big movie star now. And I just looked at him and he would never tell people when he would introduce his cast and say, so-and-so did this or did that. He would never mention I was on the wire. My and he said to me that night, I don't want you to be typecast as a foul mouth bartender. I said, I'm 65 years old. Typecast me. Please, well, typecast me. Yeah, and also, like, that just seems like a misplaced concern. Like, Dolores is much more yeah. than a supposedly foul-mouthed bartender. There is a lot yeah. going on there. Um you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more to Dolores than just her chewing out Ziggy. Um, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, he was concerned that I would be typecast. Please, typecast me. Let, let me be, um, you know, Raymond's mother. Just typecast me. <laughs> let me work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't care. Well, um, we loved your work in The Wire and uh, what oh, we've seen elsewhere of yours. Um, I guess we've uh, been going for a while now, so I know we've run a bit oh, over time. Have. Yeah, but I, I'll let you um, get back to your evening, but it was just such a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm so happy we got to learn a little bit more about uh, your experience on, on The Wire no, and what you've a, been doing since. It was since. a wonderful experience. It, uh, everybody was just just wonderful. Uh, there wasn't a, a sour grape in the in the bunch. And uh, what Everybody. we've what we've really appreciated just in our time hosting this podcast, and which has been a few years now, but the the community around the wire is so great. Lots of fans, lots of people who want to talk about the show, learn about the show, um, revisit uh, clips and and episodes and everything. And we've just had the most uh, fulfilling time doing this and you taking oh, okay. you taking part has been um a really great moment for us so thank you so much once again oh thank thank you for having me i really appreciate it it was, it was nice of um i guess mike barton i don't know who you heard about me from the other podcast that i did john john at pbd cast barton. yeah yeah Okay. Well, thank you so much. I'm sorry I couldn't see you. Oh, that's all right. Tech technology finds a way, right? Um, yeah. Okay. That, 
you you take care so much, Jill, and we will uh, stay in touch, um, and we'll talk to you again soon. Do you know when this will air or whatever it does or uh, whatever you refer to it in podcasts? Yeah, I'll, I'll send you an email with an update. It'll be in the next day or two. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're quick. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty quick. I'll let you know, though. <laughs> All right, dear. Thank okay, so thanks, Jill. Bye. And that's it for this episode of Rewired Podcast. We hoped you enjoyed this conversation with Jill Redding. What a delight she is and so many great stories she has to share um, about The Wire and just about her work and uh, where she's acted elsewhere and um, it was great to get to know her today. So we'll see you all next time way down in the hole.